and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy and today is episode 99, super exciting and we're talking to Joni. As usually we talk about many things in this episode but our main focus was Joni's experience in the military. She had a eight years plus career in the military and she tells us why she decided to join and her experience there as a woman but also as a gay woman because when she was there she discovered she was attracted to women and she shares with us some pretty disturbing weird confusing stories to be honest because i didn't know that but being gay in the military at this time was actually considered as a crime so as you can imagine that was very difficult for her to navigate that johnny was amazing very open vulnerable and i really thank her for sharing all those difficult stories with us because it was really eye-opening and we really hope you enjoy this episode hi johnny welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here today thank you thank you so much johnny for joining us super excited about this conversation we met uh i'm so confused with time now now it's january 2022 so we met like two and a half years ago it was at the end of 2019 oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah it yeah. sounds like very far away yeah. <laughs> um Holy we met cow. during gratitude training in yeah it was like november 2019 yep and we spent a lot of hours together and on the phone for basically three months every week <laughs> non-stop during this whole training yes. <clears throat> and we've learned a lot about ourselves about each other mm-hmm. and we created through this training a very strong bond with the entire group and uh, even if well with everything going on in the world it's been complicated to see each other and stay in touch and everything uh, this the this whole experience creating some created something special for yes. sure and and the first question i've got for you actually now i think about it i wasn't planning to start with that but <laughs> um, is how did you decide at um 50 plus years old to join a self-development program you know it was um i actually it wasn't my idea um it was so my little niece was going and her mom had um, enrolled her and thought it would be a good idea if I did it so that I would understand the whole gratitude concept and program. So at first I kind of resented it because I was like, right, I've done enough therapy in my life, done enough self-development at this point, don't really need it. Right. Um, but I'll do it because I wanted to kind of have that connection to Alexa mm. and um, figure out, you know, exactly what she was going to experience in it. So, so that's why I ended up going um, to one part one, yeah. right. And then Alexa went to part one and really loved it and excelled at it and became um, actually became a leader in the youth, um, which is called mm. XTL in the youth mm-hmm. um, program um, for a while. And then after part one, I really did um, feel like parts one and two for me were the most impactful, um, mainly part two. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when you, um, I, I grew up in a house full of trauma. So when you grow up with trauma, um, 
I've often said this to people, like there's this part of trauma that happens that you can go to, you know, psychotherapy or talk therapy, you know, to get through. But um, I think there's a point which you're talked out, like I'm talked out about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore because it's Mm -hmm. like old, it's old news now, right? I've talked through it so many times in my life to get where I am that that part of it is over for me. But I always felt like there was this part of, my DNA that was impacted by that, so to speak. I know that sounds really oh. weird, but I felt like there was, there were, like there were genetic changes almost in me because of that trauma. That no matter how much I talked about it and did work about it, there were things that needed to be cleared. So throughout the years, I've done things like um, there are different, you know, tap therapies and. Um, you can do hypnosis and other things. I did self-hypnosis when I was in the military to sort of help me deal with the stress of of that and war and everything else. But, um, I felt like there was something missing. So part two for me was very physical. If you remember, Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of physical activity that we did to sort of get past blockers and things. And so for me, that was the most impactful part was that I felt like I had finally broken that DNA a little bit and, you know, broken it up and, and, and shook the bottle a little bit to get rid of it. Um, so for me, that was the most impactful part. Interesting. It reminds me of something we learned when we did our yoga teacher training Mm -hmm. in 2020, uh, 21, uh, about how like the, the, the way they were saying it, I think it's the title of a book is the body keeps the score in a sense that your, your body, your cells and your mm-hmm. DNA, I mean, yeah, I don't know at which level exactly it is, but right. how we yeah, physically store the trauma yeah. in a way. And I think especially childhood trauma, it actually physically alters the way that your brain works. Like it actually physically changes it. So it's not just really? you thinking that it did. Yeah, it actually does change. Wow. From what I remember, it actually yeah, yeah. physically changes yeah. your brain. And so people who experience childhood trauma then go on to experience a lot of adult trauma because of the way that their brain... Yes, sees wired, the world differently <laughs> almost yeah so it's definitely well, that makes a lot of sense when yeah. you said that yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. definitely yeah. I, I also find it very interesting because um and this is really more like a personal comment I, I can't make a massive generalization on it but most most people that i know that are you know, 50, 60, or whatever, even from 40, probably, to be honest, uh, don't always have the willingness to change. Very true. Improve. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know. Yeah, it's very true. It's it's not common, I feel. Mm -hmm. Takes work. Takes a lot of work, and it's it's scary, Mm. right? I just turned 59. Most people look at me and go, no way. I look at me and say, no way. But, you know, I work in a company now that has an older workforce. I was having this conversation yesterday. Um, that workforce is, is by and largely like a large part of them are in like 40s and over, right? Mm. And there's an adversity to change because of the way we do things. I hear that all the time. Well, that's how we do things. Yeah. That's how you did things. You don't it doesn't mean do it's good. like that anymore, right? Yeah. But it's interesting when you say that. That's very true. I think um, the older we get, the more fear plays into that, right? And the harder it is to change because change means work, right? And when you're young, you're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> As you get older, you're like, no, not. Let's not, right? So, yeah, I think definitely um, – I'm fortunate in that I've always been a very proactive person in my own health and my own um, mental health. 
am by far perfect, right? I've got, I've got lots of ways that I've dealt with my trauma um, that weren't all healthy, but I was always very aware, um, and I don't take that for granted. I, I, I believe I, that's a godsend for me, right? I'm not a very religious person, but I do believe that I was blessed with an incredible amount of strength, more than anyone else I know around me, to be able to get through what you know I, was, I had to navigate and then to be successful um, and to not carry that with me every day. Mm. So I don't take it for granted. I feel lucky. You know, mm. but what you said, the, the self-awareness is the key here, because also even if people are scared to change because, yeah, it's not easy and everything, it's also about, well, that means you need to question yourself. What do I need to change? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm as good as I can be or whatever. Right. Uh, a lot of people struggle to <laughs> believe that they need to change. So right. I don't need to change. I'm, I'm good. Right. My life is good. Everything is good. Yeah. Like, why would I change? Or I'm so, too old to change. What's the point? Yeah. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Just Man, having the awareness <laughs> and, and, and everything to realize that actually I can still improve whatever my age and my situation and yeah. my things. I can still, you know, get better and improve and discover new things in life. Just having Absolutely. this spark uh, is crucial, I think. And I think you're right. And I think alive. it's what keeps you younger too. I think, you yeah. know, people say to me all the time, you're like so youthful. I'm like, of mm. course, like I'm still as inquisitive as I was. People get mad at me all the time because I ask too many questions, right? Why do you ask so many <laughs> questions? Because I don't know, like I should ask questions. That's interesting to me, right? I'm, some friends and I are like learning Spanish this week, right? This is going to be our thing. We're going to learn Spanish and have Spanish dinners and we're going to figure out how to learn this thing, right? I think it keeps you young and it keeps, it keeps your brain moving and I think it keeps you yeah. youthful when you're inquisitive about other things and other people and something outside of yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So definitely. So... Do you want to tell us where you're from and and how did you grow up? Sure. I am from a little town called Plaquemine, Louisiana. So in Louisiana, we have parishes instead of counties. Um, and I don't know if you, that makes sense to you guys. Um, so Miami's Dade County, right? Like in Louisiana, we call those parishes because it's a very Catholic-centered um, uh, culture. Um, but I was from a little town called Plaquemine. There's also a parish called Plaquemine, but I'm from a little town, and it's on the west bank of the Mississippi, um, pretty close to Baton Rouge, which is the capital, um, mm-hmm. and right across the river from LSU, which is the football team. And if you're from the south, that's a really important thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could almost see the lights from my dad's house in the stadium <laughs> at night. Um, but yeah, so I grew up there um, in this little small town of under 10,000 people um, in a very southern, traditional southern home um, where, you know, my, um, oddly enough, my grandfather was the boss, but really my grandmother was the ruler of the roost. And, um, and so the value chain was, you know, grandparents, father, three brothers, mother, me, Um and I grew up in that world of, you know, my value was going to be um, attached to whoever I married and mm-hmm. his value, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up kind of in this world of a mindset that I was supposed to grow up and get married and have kids and do that thing that they all do in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was my grandmother and my mother. So my mom's mom was a very independent woman um, whom. Uh, my grandfather had died when I was five, and 
um, but she was a very independent woman. She worked all of her life. She graduated. She didn't graduate from high school. She um, had an eighth grade education, um, worked at a hospital as a, everybody thought, registered nurse, but she had no education. She ran the place, but she had no education. And so she had that mentality. And I think I'm a lot like her, which is probably Mm -hmm. the rub between me and my own mother. Um, Their relationship wasn't very good. Mine and my grandmother's was like inseparable. Um, Mm -hmm. I loved this woman. Um, She was sort of my savior in a lot of ways as well. So, um, so my grandmother and mother had a different idea for me, um, which which was great for me because my mother couldn't make those changes for herself. Like mm-hmm. she started as a victim and has remained a victim and still is today um, to, to that thought and process in society. But she made sure that I had a credit card when I was you know, 15, that I had a bank account, that I, she forced me to go to college. I don't know that I would have gone. I wanted to join the military right out of high school. Like I mm-hmm. would have joined at 17 and left that place with a blaze of glory. But my mom insisted that I go to college. Um, and so I have to I have to say, um, you know, there was this mentality of where women were supposed to fit in. But my mother and my grandmother really broke that mold for me, not for mm-hmm. themselves so much, but for me. Um, so I went off to college um, from there. I have three brothers. Um, I'm the second oldest, so I have an older brother and two youngers, um, and we grew up, um, you know, knowing everyone. My brothers are still friends with everybody that we went to, you know, elementary school with today, right? I mean, <laughs> people in town call each other, oh yeah, those are the Kirklands, right, or those are the Sharons, right? Yeah. My father was a barber, right? Yeah, so so knew everyone. <laughs> I knew, yes, he yeah. knew everyone. When the cops stopped you for getting in trouble, they would go, oh, you Sharon's kid. Okay. So that was <laughs> never good. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it was a real small town. And, you know, it was really fun. My father and I, um, he, he was a different man when I was a kid versus a man he was by the time he died. But he had this barbershop. And I'm going to tell you, like, until today, if I could sit on the floor in that barbershop and shine shoes for 25 cents and listen to him and all those little guys having their little conversations, oh my gosh, it was, <laughs> it, like I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, and every chance I had, you know, I wanted to be there and um, and just, you know, sit on the floor and shine shoes for 25 cents and listen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, that was uh, that was that was pretty fun, um, and and so it was just this little small town. We grew up with you know this craziness in my family, and at the same time we had this um, very traditional. We had um, we had meals together every night for dinner. My mom cooked every day until I was old enough to kind of help out. Um, it was a very traditional thing. We were taught right from wrong. My brothers and I all have unquestionable work ethic, and we got that from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, who's extremely hardworking, um, who was a man who was pretty cruel to us as a, as kids, but would give you the shirt off of his back and everyone else around him, like, you know, just worshiped him, right? He, mm-hmm. he was this super charitable man with a really big heart. He, um, you know, in those days they called people who had, um, any kind of disabilities, they called them, you know, retarded, right? That was the word they used back then, which I hate, but, um, 
he he still used it till he died along with other words mm. but um but he like would cut people's hair and he would go to their house and he would like do this all for free just to do it to make sure that mm. everybody you know was taken care of and he did that throughout his life so mm. there were confusing messages and conflicting things for me as a kid around this man who was pretty violent with us but honestly was a super charitable soul mm. um who did all kinds of things so you know, I thank God I was able to learn from both of those lessons, right? Like, that's definitely not something I want to aspire to, you know, being violent. But on the other hand, I definitely want to lead and make sure that in my life, I'm giving back. And he always gave back. Um, and in the small town, that's a big thing, um, you know, for a small town. So I grew up there. I, uh, I went to high school. I wasn't a great student. Um, I think I think if I um, if we were in today's world, I'm pretty sure I'm on the spectrum at some point. Um, I have a little bit of an issue around learning and comprehension, so don't ever ask me to to read and comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I survived um, getting through school. It wasn't great. Um, my grades were horrible. Um, I went back and looked at report cards recently. I'm like, God, how did I even <laughs> make it out of high school? This was awful. But I think <laughs> what I made an F. Um, because you know me, I'm such a perfectionist, right? But, uh, yeah, it's been pretty funny to go back and reflect on that, that, you know, I think I was, there was definitely abuse in my house as a kid. So I remember in my early years, I slept a lot because at home I didn't sleep, right? I was, I was, I was scared. I wasn't comfortable, whatever it was. So when I got to school, I really just wanted to sleep all day. So I spent an enormous amount of time on the red couch in the principal's office of my elementary school. Like I still Mm -hmm. remember that red couch. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think because, you know, I was so worn out from what was going on at home that that was where I could, you know, relax and sleep. Um, so I wasn't a great student, um, but somehow I, uh, as I have done throughout my life, I may not have had the best of circumstances, but I figured out a way and I'm <laughs> just resourceful enough to get through it and to graduate. So I did, I actually graduated and got a couple of scholarships to a really, really small college, hmm. Um, that, you know, at that time, this is the eighties, right? This is, it was a lot cheaper. Mm. Um, so I did go off to college from high school, um, to a university called USL today is called university of Louisiana, Southwestern South. Yeah. Southwest. Um, and I went it through three, I went through three years. Um, and, and throughout that time, I mean, so, so my strategy for dealing with the whole trauma was bulimia, right? So I was pretty, my, I was pretty active in it at that time. And in college, I was struggling a lot um, in a lot of ways. I was, I was, a, I was a wreck. I was a hot mess. That was my hot mess years. And I knew I didn't want to be in Louisiana. I knew I didn't want the life that they had planned for me. But I didn't know another life. Like no one had ever said to me, I'd never left the state, right? Mm. So I didn't, like, I didn't know what was possible yet. Um, so I was pretty trapped there um, for a bit um, in college. And, and I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm in college. I'm in year three. It's the summer between year three and year four, right? And I'm miserable, suffering barely making it in school, like working my tail off to try to make the grades. Right. Um, and so I'm making it, but I decide like, I can't take another time at home. Like mm-hmm. I would rather slip my wrist than go back and deal with those people. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to do it. So I get a job at McDonald's 
and I find this apartment over someone's garage. And in South Louisiana in the summers, there are lots of bugs, roaches, lots of roaches. So I get this little a podunk apartment. That's the most horrible place anyone would want to live. And there are bugs everywhere. I have no furniture. I barely have anything, right? Because I come up from a three for family. You get three pairs of pants, three shirts, yeah. and two pairs of shoes. That's what you get every year. Good luck, right? So when I went off to college, mom got me, you know, three pairs of pants, three shirts, and a pair of dress shoes, a pair of tennis shoes, and I had to get another pair of shoes for band. That was it, right? So I don't have much. And I go live in this little roach-infested apartment where, like, at night, roaches are, like, running across your feet because I'm sleeping on cinder blocks with a piece of wood, right? Oh, my gosh, it was awful. It was awful, <laughs> awful. But I'm, like, I'm doing this thing, right? There's nobody's making me go home. I'm independent. So I get this job at McDonald's, and I have to ride a bike because I don't have a car because – that was another thing. Girls didn't have cars. My boy, my brothers could all have cars because they were boys, but I couldn't mm -hmm. have a car when I was in high school because I was a girl. So, um, so I'm riding my bike to this little McDonald's every day, six miles one way, right? And six miles back, which is fine. I'm, I'm pretty in shape, but, um, I'm riding there one morning and the, the manager gets to the McDonald's and she's got this car and it's those, it's this little Honda Prelude. And at this time, this was like the car to have. It was mm -hmm. like the, you know, convertible BMW of today, right? It was like the thing. So I, I ride my bike into the parking lot. I see the car and I'm like, oh, that's a nice little car. Sweet, right? So I get into the McDonald's. It's 4 a.m. And um, the manager turned there. Her name was Cindy. I'll never forget this woman because she changed my life. So she says to me, hey, come sit down and have some coffee. I'm like, okay. So I sit down and she goes, you know what? Man, you have amazing work ethic you know you could do anything you want in life and I was like well thank you I appreciate it she said so I tell you what you work hard and you stay here and you could be a manager and you could own that car just like me in a couple of years and I thought hell no <laughs> not my life and when she said I have nothing against fast food and management I've got family in it I have nothing against it but Something to me at that moment in my life said, hell no, you're making a change, kid. Get out. And I did. I took my apron off. I handed it to her. I gave her a hug. And I said, Cindy, I couldn't thank you anymore for all that you've done for me. But this is not my life. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what did I say? And I was like, <laughs> it's not you. I'll yeah. write you from wherever I land, right? Didn't know where I was going to land, but I rode that bike back home. And when I got back to my um, roach-infested apartment, I'm sure I cried for a few hours because that place was horrible. But I called a recruiter that day, and I went in and tested. And I was like, mm -hmm. this is it. Like, this is the day your life is going to change. From mm -hmm. now on, it's never going to be that. That's not your life. It's not where you're going. You're not living that just because they think you should. I don't fit here. So I'm out, right? So I uh, I went down to the recruiter and had to wait, you know, delayed entry for um, for a while. Um, but I joined that day. <laughs> and That's so how the, I got to the military. <laughs> the, the reason you pick military, was it because in your eyes at this time, that was the only alternative that you knew? I think it was the only thing. <clears throat> there was a recruiter that had come to my high school that was, an, that was a Navy recruiter. Hmm. And um, and he offered me a band scholarship, okay. right? But my mother would have had to sign for me to leave right after high school, and she wouldn't. Hmm. Um, but that was in my mind as a way out. Yeah. Um, my cousin had a boyfriend who was in the Navy, 
um, who he had traveled the world and like I knew him. Um, his name was Jerry. And so Janice had talked about him a lot. And so I knew that there was something. And if I could just get out of there, mm. like, and climb out of that hole, then I could get to somewhere else and figure it out. And I would be paid and taken care of until I could figure this whole thing out. Mm. You know, and yeah. I think it was, I don't know if I could have left um, without it. I, I don't know how I would have or how I would have provided for myself. Mm. I mean, looking at the place I was living, it's like you're not doing so good on that level, right? Mm. Like mm. making, you know, two fifty at McDonald's an hour, right? Um, so yeah, I think it was it was a survival for me. It was a pinnacle point in my life where it was like live or die. That's how I felt. Mm. This is it. Today's the day. And how did your parents react to this decision? That my was not was, part of the plan. <laughs> no, you know, by then I wasn't talking to my father um, or my brothers. Um, the family, my mom and dad had separated the when I graduated from high school, mm. which was a horrible feat, um, and that happened in a violent way. Um, and it happened because my brother and I were in a fight, and then my father and I got in like we were thrown out of the house that day. So that happened in a sort of violent way. Um, so we weren't talking. Um, so I was really only in touch with my grandmother and my mom. Um, so I, I told my mom, <laughs> she was not happy. She wanted me to go back to Uncle Sam and tell him, no, I wasn't coming. And I was like, it's a little late now. I'm 22, mom. I signed the papers. Like I'm, I was brave enough to say no to her. It mm. took me till I was 22 to say no to my mother, but I was just brave enough you know, mm -hmm. maybe I thought I could run faster, but I was just brave <laughs> enough to, <laughs> to say I'm not doing it. So she was not happy. She wanted me to go back and tell Uncle Sam I wasn't coming. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, Uncle Sam is not really a thing, Ma. That's a post. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't so happy. My mm -hmm. brothers were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're 22. Nobody's going to even want to marry you in a year or two. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's a little bizarre, don't you think? I mean, I'm 22. I'm not yeah. like 82. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be right. Yeah. Right. And at that time, I still thought I was straight. So mm -hmm. I was still dating dudes, right? I, I was still dating guys. And like, I hadn't figured out yet that that was another big problem in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty funny. So yeah, I signed up and never looked back. Best decision I ever made, regardless of the, you know, the trials of being in the military as a woman in the 80s. Um, and 90s, but that was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Smartest decision. Mm. You know? But when when you signed up, it was a a way to escape your environment. But Absolutely. did you did you were you aware of what you're signing up for? <laughs> Absolutely, and I wanted yeah? to. Oh, okay. Like I've always okay. been super patriotic. Okay. I think when I was three or four, I wanted to be in the military. Like mm. I always did. Interesting. When I was a, um, you know, when you're a kid, I don't know about in um, England, but in the U.S., you know, when you're a kid, there's just, like these points in school where, you know, they try to be progressive and they give you these little tests and they ask you a bunch of questions and they say, well, that's what you should do. Mm. Well, mm, mindset, yeah. you should go in the military, right? Mm. Interesting. Interesting. You should be, you're, you know, I'm a natural leader and you should be in the military because I like, um, I like structure and um, I like uniforms and I like dressing up to go to work. Who knew? Yeah. 
So it was uh, that probably started that mentality for me. So by the time I went in, I talked to a couple of other people. Um, I think if I had the decision to make today, I wouldn't change going in the military. I might change which service and which avenue I picked. I went enlisted because it was the fastest, easiest way to get out. And honestly, it's I didn't think I had the value to be an officer yet. Mm -hmm. um, pretty quickly, once I joined within the first year, I figured out that I was absolutely officer material and I should have gone off to West Point. Um, but I'm not I, I'm pretty positive I would have never gotten into West Point. I didn't have the credentials. I didn't have right. the I didn't have the backing. I didn't have the finance. Like I had nothing. Um, I came from dirt, you know, poor almost mm. to, to, you know, I mean, we had, but like I came from this super lower middle class to, I would have never made it. But, um, but I did try to get into officer candidate school when I was in um, and I got accepted. So. So how long did you spend in the military in total? In total, um, eight years and one month active, and then a couple of months tacked on for um, inactive and um, what they call delayed entry. So I had okay. eight, my technical is eight years active duty. And what is life like? What did you do? In the military? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so very first, you, have get, you have to get through <laughs> basic training first, right? Which is a trip in itself, um, which is a game. Thank God for me, I've always been mentally strong. So for me, that was just a bunch of idiots yelling at me, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever, you people are crazy. Um, don't take that too seriously when some guy is barking at you, right? And in those days, Rosie, like, they could still say sexist stuff, right? Like, you could sing Cadence going down the street talking about having sex, you know, with the general's daughter, right? Mm. Like, it was so different when I look back on it. Like, wow. I mean, just the way that they talk to you, um, the things that they could say to you, how they could treat you. And let's be honest. I mean, women, yeah, we weren't treated very well at all. Um, and you had to deal with a bunch of men who were, you know, had probably low self-esteem and <laughs> And, and very insecure who would just, mm -hmm. you know, pounce on you at any moment. Right. And I'm not a big girl. I mean, I'm still not right. I'm almost five, two, but at that time I was probably, you know, five, two, 120. I'm still, you know, five, 230. Right. Like I wasn't very big. So keeping up with big guys was a little challenging for me. However, being me and growing up in a house with three brothers, I was perfectly well prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like my brothers taught me a lot. They beat the bejesus out of me, but like growing up in a house with all men taught me a ton about life. So by the time I hit the military, they had nothing on my brothers. Right. Mm. Um, so it was, it was crazy. So we, our day-to-day -day life after basic training. So in the military, you go to basic training, which is like your basic stuff, right? You learn how to, you know, march, shoot and do whatever and then you have what's called AIT which is like your job training so my job was a 97 golf I was in counterintelligence and so that was another eight months nine months after um so I went to basic in um, New Jersey I went to my AIT advanced training in um, Fort Devens and then uh immediately they asked where I wanted to go and I was like anywhere out of the United States, as far the hell away as you can possibly get me. Mm. And they said, well, we can't get you to Korea yet, but we can send you to Europe. And I was like, sold, I'm in. Mm. So they shipped me off to uh, Germany. Wow. So 
never left Louisiana, get on an airplane, cried from the United States till I landed in Frankfurt. I'm pretty sure I, cried, I cried the whole time. I don't know why I was crying, but like I was so stuck, scared. Yeah, yeah. I was so I was 22, and I mean I was I was so scared. Like you guys live in Europe, it's probably a little different. But when you come to the U.S., it's probably a little crazy because we're nuts yeah. over here. <laughs> but I was so scared. I I cried the whole time. Because I didn't know, like, how was I going to call home, right? I didn't know what that was going to be like. Where mm -hmm. I live, we still dial 687-6437, right? Like, you didn't even dial an area code yet. Yeah. The world was very different. And yeah. so I um, I was pretty scared. And um, But thank goodness the military takes care of you. So I land in Frankfurt. Um, my first duty station was in a little town called um, Kaiser's uh, uh, Worms. My headquarters was in Kaiserslautern. Um, so I was stationed at a little place called Takunen Barracks in Worms, Germany on the Rhine River. Mm. And um, so that was my first duty station. And so when you finish all your training and you get to where you're going, it's different. Um, in the Army, it's still not like a regular job. Um, you still like you have to get up every morning. You have to do PT or physical training in the morning. So you have to show up for a formation. If you're sick, you still have to show up for that formation and you have to ask permission to go to, to the medical place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a very different controlled world in that way. Um, and so for me, it really worked, um, in the beginning, it was a really comfortable place for me because I didn't have to worry about the stuff that I had to worry about before. Mm -hmm. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the first briefings I have when I get to Takuna Barracks is uh, they bring all the women into a room and they say to us, FYI, you cannot be alone at night on the barracks or anywhere by, you know, by yourself at night. So I'm like, okay, well, I get it out on the, they call it on the economy when you're not in the barracks, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I get it maybe on the economy right? Because it's a foreign country and we're mm. Americans and, you know, there might be some animosity or whatever, but we couldn't be alone on the barracks, on post, because there's such a problem with rape in the military. How bizarre is that? That's my first intro when I get there. And I thought, how is that possible? Like, we're all brothers. Like, we're serving the same country, Right. And that was my wake-up call. Like, things at home weren't great, but you know what? The world is not always great. You can't escape this stuff. And so they, they gave us a briefing and told us, like, as, as women, we had to be really careful. We should always travel in pairs, and we should always make sure that we're, like, protected, right? By any chance, did they teach the men you should not be raping the women who are also working with you? Oh, was God. that ever a conversation that was... <laughs> I know Never that's... Never Oh, that's infuriating. <laughs> It, that is infuriating. You know, it's, it's almost as like they have an excuse. Yeah. Right? Like, you've mm. put them in hardship, therefore. And I'm thinking, you know, we're living in the same hardship here. Just want to mm. point that out to you. Like, I'm not going around, you know, raping somebody. Yeah. And women, to, we don't do that. But, yeah, it's, it was a very, it was shocking. I wrote, I have a card that I sent home to my grandmother because she was still alive then about that yeah. because I was shocked by it. I thought, this is really bizarre. Like, this is a conversation you're having with me. We're all in the same unit. 
we're yeah. like brothers and sisters of the same unit here. We're in the same, we're serving our country. Like, are you telling me we don't protect each other? Yeah, that's we're supposed to have each other back. And <laughs> that's why I'm right. here, right? Yeah. Like, that's why I'm here because this was supposed to be different, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my first intro into you should really be careful and watch where you're at and watch what you're doing because you still have to watch your back. I thought I was going somewhere that was going to be safe. I was wrong. Um, so I had to watch my back. Um, so yeah, so I went off to, uh, to Europe and, and hit my first duty station. And um, yeah, I mean, it just changed my life, right? Um, first of all, how can you not love somebody from Germany? I love German people. Oh my God. Like love, love, love the food, the people, the party. I mean, there's always a festival. There's always, and the nicest, like just the nicest people and, mm. and being in the German community was never a problem ever. Mm. I never had a problem with anybody in Europe. I never had a problem with anyone in Asia that wasn't military. Mm. So what was your assignment slash job over there? So in Europe, I, um, so, uh, so as a 97 golf, we were counterintelligence. So basically our job back then was to, um, to act as though we were the enemy, right. And figure out where any vulnerabilities were to the U S. So that would be through communications, whether it's telephone, radio. So, mm. um, I did a lot of monitoring radios and telephones and listening to the conversations, um, especially around maneuvers, right? So um, when you, everything is around orders. If you're going to deploy to, you know, to Afghanistan, you get orders. If you're going to deploy to Europe, you get orders. So um, in those days, we did lots of exercises, um, meaning lots of training where we would deploy an entire unit, right? Um, so my job was to listen in when those orders came out and figure out were soldiers talking and giving it away. So if I'm somebody in East Germany or Russia and I'm listening mm -hmm. in on your communications, which they are, they were, they still are, right? It's just a different type of communication yeah. today. We're still listening to it. We do it to them. They do it. Everybody's listening to everybody. Mm -hmm. So it was always happening, right? Um, and so my job was to figure out what was being said and what could be extracted from that? How much vulnerability did we have? Mm. Did we give away our positions? Did we give away where we were going? Because if you're in war and you give away your positions, it's a bad thing, right? Yeah. So it started as that. But um, as my life would have it, and I've always been super fortunate in this way, I, um, I excelled above everyone else um, in terms of my work ethic. And um, and I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm I'm not super off the scale intelligent, but I'm pretty smart. So I would, um, so I excelled and they ended up pulling me in to work with officers on what's called cryptogramming. So um, like breaking back code, yeah. um, listening mm -hmm. in and trying to figure that stuff out. And then that, I graduated from that into um, encrypting machines. Mm -hmm. So I would travel around the country teaching and training um, everybody on how to encrypt their radios and telephones and systems um, and then how to destroy that and how to maintain records of it and that kind of thing. So I, um, I traveled a lot, a lot, a lot. Wow. Yeah. Around the country doing different things. Um, and interestingly, um, I was always smart enough to take care of myself. Um, a lot of times I would be what's called downrange or in the field or out somewhere in tents, right? Mm. And um, there were a couple of times where we would downrange with like 375, 400 guys and me. 
and um, and usually there were one or two women around, like a nurse or somebody in the somebody cooking, right? Mm. Typical women's jobs. Yeah. Um, I was a technology person, so I was the only one. That's still true today sometimes. But um, but in the military, there are rules like men have to sleep in a certain place, women have to sleep in a certain place. So when we would mm. go downrange, they would have to put up a tent for me to sleep alone because I was the only female. So very quickly, I said to all of these guys, like, not going to happen. Wherever you are sleeping is where I am sleeping, and you are all responsible for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to be alone in a tent. I'm not going to shower alone. I'm not going to the bathroom alone. Like, there's never going to be an alone with 400 guys and me downrange because they all act like they're at war, and they're going to lose their life tomorrow, and you'll definitely get raped. Hmm. not gonna happen so um we broke all the rules and i was like listen i grew up with three brothers you can fart you can spit you can curse i don't care what you do in this tent right like i'm gonna put my headphones on and i'm going to sleep but if i gotta go to the bathroom or shower like you guys have to come with me and i will say you know they were they were bad guys but i was surrounded by great men hmm. who took care of me, walked me to the restroom, even insisted at times, like when I wasn't, they were like, whoa, Sharon, everybody goes, gets called by your last name. They're like, you know, whoa, Sharon, you can't walk out there. Hold on, let me get some pants on and I'll go with you or whatever. And so I was, I was super fortunate that mm -hmm. um, I was surrounded by these men who completely took care of me and made sure that I was safe when I was, mm -hmm. when I was in Europe. And, um, and so I was never, there were times when I felt threatened, but I knew that I had somebody, you know, to back me up and all I had to do was get back to the tent. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and if there were times where I was going to be alone, I slept in the truck, um, because we all had vehicles and I could lock the doors and I'm oh. so small that I could, I could like lay across the front yeah. of the truck and sleep. <laughs> so nobody cared. Right. But, um, yeah, so I was, you know, there, there's craziness that happens in the military, but I don't want to leave the impression that everyone in the military is bad because that's not true. There are some really amazing men that crossed my path. Um, and those guys totally took care of me. Mm. So, so I was fortunate. I'm glad that you were looked after, but it's also such a shame and like sad to hear that you had to be looked yeah, after, that you couldn't have yeah. just gone to the toilet on your own. Like, and I understand, I, I mean, yeah. I understand it, but it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's still hard to grasp, isn't it? You know, it's not... It's, it's not the way it should be. You know, you should no. be able to say, be safe and walk around and do what you want to do without having to have a group of men to protect you from another group yeah. of men, essentially. It's, and it's, the men shouldn't have been in that position either, right? Like, no one should have had to be in that position. Yeah, it's very, yeah. it's interesting. And, you know, it's funny because that's in, you know, that's the 80s, right? So you evolved and younger women today are like, you know, you guys are making up a fight that doesn't exist. I'm like, oh, Yeah. Really? So a younger friend of mine was, was going off to Afghanistan, and um, this was probably um, like 10 years ago. She was going off to Afghanistan. She was a gynecologist, and she said to me, yeah, you know, you older folks, <laughs> you older folks, y'all make up stuff. It's not The world's not like that anymore. Oh, okay, we'll see when you get there. So she goes off to Trump in Afghanistan, right? I have to teach her how to put on her gear because she doesn't know. She's a doc, right? So she gets there. And um, I still have her letter. She wrote me a letter and she said, Jay, I didn't get it until I was coming in from a shower and there was a convoy coming in, a convoy like a bunch of trucks driving in from wherever mm. they were. There was a convoy coming in and I was leaving the shower and she said, the guys sitting on the front of the truck 
looked they looked right through me like if they weren't sitting on that truck and there weren't 150 people around they would have raped the shit out of me right there standing in the middle of the street she yeah. said i've never felt so intimidated i never felt so scared and like all of a sudden i got what you were saying to me that that i could see it in their faces that they were looking like right through her like she was a piece of meat mm. and and there was nothing else to her there and from that point forward it modified the way that she behaved in the camp because she had only been there for a week. So the camp was relatively empty. Now everyone's coming back and now it's full and you've got GIs everywhere. And so it certainly modified her uh, behavior and when she showered and how she showered and um, making sure that all the women went together as a group to shower and that kind of thing. But um, I guess, yeah, I guess especially, I'm sorry to keep talking about this, but I guess especially in the eighties and nineties, I guess there weren't women in the leadership position. So even if something happens and you told the leaders, maybe it wouldn't be believed or nothing would happen. And yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know. There were very few. Mm. And I will say this about that position, right? Um, there are women that might stick their necks out to help you. Mm. But chances are it's that mentality. I have to work five times as hard, five times, five times as fast. I have to do five times as much just yeah. to be equal to you. And I'm going to take on that fight because I want equality, mm. but it's not fair. So as a woman to speak out, um, and, and I can, I, I can definitely share a story about that. Like speaking out is not fun. It may mm. not end well for you. You might mm. find yourself in a lot of trouble and you mm. might lose your career at that point. It's not fair. It's still not fair, but it's better, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, not many people would have spoken out. The yeah. men would protect me, but there is no way that they would speak out against someone else. No. Yeah. Just didn't do it, right? Because mm. there's a lot of things that happen downrange mm. in the middle of the woods with no one to monitor, right? Um, it's dangerous for everybody in that way. So where, where did you go in the world apart from Germany? So from Germany, I went to, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I had a special assignment for a defense nuclear agency and I did, um, I, mo I moved into like plain clothes assignments and I carried a 38, so I didn't have to wear uniforms much for those two years. And, um, and we did security for above ground nuclear testing in White Sands um, Missile Range, which is in um, south of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I did uh, security. So that, that was kind of fun. That was a different world um, for me. Um, and because I came out um, as a lesbian when I was in um, Germany, in Germany um, at 24, um, I, was, I was out by the time I got to Albuquerque. So my world was shifting a little bit. Um, and so, um, and that was a different world because I was stationed on an air force base and there is a complete different mentality from being stationed on an army base versus an air force base, very different worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, air force is very relaxed. Uh, we tease each other, we tease each other a lot. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like you're not really to service. You just wear a uniform, <laughs> but like they're very, but they're very smart, right? Like they go to work, they come home. Like it's a very different mentality in the military. I found that the there was an ignorance about doing it and making it harder than it had to be mm -hmm. because sometimes people weren't smart enough to figure out another way and it was all they knew. 
So no matter how stupid it was, they were going to do it, especially when it came to physical things that men could do, right? Because they could always outdo the women. Hmm. I mean, that's just a given. Right. Anybody who thinks we're physically equal to them, I, I, I don't agree with that. Mm. We're not. Like, yeah. can we do some of the same? Th- Absolutely. But I'm, I'm, you know, at 5'2", 120, I'm not equal to a guy who's, you know, 6'2", you know, 230. Yeah. Not even close. Mm. Right? So, um, yeah, so it was, it was a very different mentality. So being on the Air Force Base was like, geez, these people have carpet and wood furniture. <laughs> Man, I'm not shining floors, and I don't have metal like lockers, right? It was just so different in every way. Um, I mean, I had a vehicle. Um, the, the people were different. I worked with the with the Navy, the Air Force, and the Army at that job, um, so it was really fun. Um, and then I met the guy that we would we would get married. Hopefully, nobody throws me in jail for this. But I met the guy that I would actually marry because we were both gay. And that was a thing that you did to survive, right? Like if mm. I was going off to Korea and as a E5 um, a sergeant in the military going off to Korea, probably going to get promoted to six at some point um, and being around people in general, like I wasn't married. I had to be a lesbian. And that was a big thing in the military, like finding you, witch hunting you and tracking you down and chasing you down was something that they spent an enormous amount of time on, which was always confusing to me because I'm probably one of the best soldiers you would have ever had better than Mm. 90% of the people around me. Right. Why would Mm. you want to track me? I'm not hurting you. I'm not bringing my love life to work. There's no drama coming here. Right. Mm. But it was a very big thing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. It yeah. might be a very stupid question, but no. what was the point of hunting you here? Like you would have been fired or it, they would have beat you up or what? Yes, absolutely. Okay. You would either, you would either get just thrown out with a dishonorable discharge or in my case, probably prison because I had a top secret plus plus clearance. So there's, there's definite challenges to to deal with there so john and i met each other and we were like you know what let's just do this right Jeez. like let's get married and we, we got married we lived together right we we attended events together right just like any other couple with, with an exception but um but yeah it's when i went off to korea i had a wedding ring on i never had to justify anything to any man anymore as long as I had a wedding ring on, yeah. I could say, no, yeah. I don't want to sleep with you because I'm married, right? Although they would always say, well, you know what happens in Korea stays in Korea. <laughs> but, I, but I never had to say, no, I'm not a lesbian. I would just say, yeah, I'm married. Yeah. Isn't it strange how the world reacts to you with something as small as a wedding ring? It's like a permission thing. You have value. It's yeah. insane. Men respect men because they're married, not because the woman doesn't want to have. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, yes. because you're married, I respect that man that I've never met before just because she says he's married. She's married, rather Absolutely. than her saying no for herself because she doesn't want to do whatever it is you want to do. Absolutely, you don't. You have value now because you're still younger, right? Mm. But wait till you hit forty. Mm. You are treated incredibly different if you don't have a wedding ring on. Like people have no. You're not lovable, obviously. You're a middle-aged Karen, right? Must be a bitch. Must be, like, cranky and unhappy because you're not married. Can't be lovable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants you, 
right? Mm. And it's an interesting mentality um, that the world carries. Um, it, yeah, it's it's a very interesting. Did your did and it, so nobody knew that you were a lesbian. No one knew that this relationship wasn't nope. well, not not real. But you know, the, nope. both of you weren't. Nope. No, no one knew that we weren't we weren't sleeping together. From all practical purposes, it was a relationship. We lived together. We yeah. we lived together in Albuquerque. He moved into my apartment. I mm. went off to Korea. He stayed in Albuquerque. He kept all my stuff in my car and everything else. And then when I got back from Korea, I came to Colorado. He put in papers to transfer with me, and he came with me, and he st- we lived together for three more years. I mean, wow. it, yeah, like it, it was a relationship, just not the. It was a relationship. Part. It just wasn't. Yeah, we weren't. Yeah. we weren't. Yeah, we weren't that way together but yeah i mean we weren't sexual but otherwise it was a relationship and um and it kept both of us safe we didn't have to explain anything to anyone when we attended events he went with me i went with him it was it was like incredibly relieving it was such a relief to not have to worry about how i was going to explain that i wasn't married and i was you know 27 which is bizarre in today's world like to not be married at 27 is not a big deal no there was such an ignorance um, around it that there were like these, there are unwritten rules of society that are just amplified in the military, right? If you're not mm. married, something must be wrong with you. Mm. And if you're not married and you're a female, you must be a lesbian. If you're not married and you're a man, you're just a player, right? Yeah, of course. Right? But if you're not married and you're a female, then you must be a lesbian. And yeah. when that talk started, I mean, it's scary, you know, the, the thought of, of of being imprisoned is scary, right? All it's like I want you have to a target on your back suddenly for no reason. Yeah, yeah. So um, in in Korea, we were pretty wild. Um, I, you know, I'd come out when I was in Europe. Um, I met my first girlfriend, who was going to be my first girlfriend there. Although at first I wanted to like beat her up for even insinuating that I was a lesbian. But um... <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? Right. I think I'm going to leave now because if you want to be gay, knock yourself out, but I'm straight. That was a conversation. Um, So it took me a while. It took me six, eight months to finally come to terms with the fact that maybe, right? And then Mm. once I figured it out, I was like, holy cow, like you've gone your whole life trying to figure out why you don't like sleeping with the guys in college. I was engaged to a guy in college. I was engaged to a guy in AIT, but he happened to be, um, he was from the islands. So my family thought that he was, you know, black with the N word. Um, So Mm. they called him that and um, didn't understand the difference between anything and Mayan or or Negro or whatever it was, right? Which is stupid. You shouldn't have to anyway, but, um, Mm. but I broke it up with him in Europe. and, and so like going through those times in my life, like I tried to get, I tried to do what they did. I tried to have a boyfriend who was, you know, he was a you know a fraternity boy, you know, he was going to be a vice president at a bank one day, his aunt owned a bank, you know, he was, he met all the markers that you're supposed to meet for a good Southern woman. Right. Yeah. And I think it would have worked right up until the point where he said, well, I, I got accepted to travel with a group called Up With People, which is like a traveling group of kids that go around singing around the world and, you know, spreading happiness. And he said to me, whoa, 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 time out. Like, I have a plan. I graduated in May. Like, I mean, you're quitting school because we need to start a family like right away. I mean, once we have the four kids, 
and like they grow up, then if you want to go back and do something, great. And I was like, dude, have you met me? Like, let's just say for a second, like, have you even met me? Do you, I mean, like five seconds with me, you know, that's not my life, right? Like, mm. what were you thinking? But in his mind, that was the marker, right? Yeah. So needless to yeah, say, it didn't matter later, what you thought about it. Basically, right? That's... <laughs> yeah. I was like, the four kids. I mean, Jesus, we didn't even talk about marriage yet. You talk. I mean, yeah, I have a ring, but that's one thing. That's that's marking the spot. That, yeah. So that didn't work. Um. So I broke it off with him. Two weeks later, he married my best friend. I'm sure they're still married. But uh, yeah, gone. Dodge that bullet. Wow. Yeah, my brothers loved him. Um, because he's a redneck. But um, yeah. So like, I had, you know, I been engaged to these guys and I'd been in school you know in college right you're in there with the girls and they're all like oh I can't wait to go to so-and-so's house tomorrow night and wake up with him on Sunday morning and I'm thinking girl I can't wait till Saturday night is over and I can get the hell out of there right like <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be there Sunday morning with him no he stinks in the morning I'm out so it was very bizarre to me <laughs> so when I finally came out I was like oh my god that makes sense welcome to the world right this is where the whole thing went wrong. Um, so yeah, it kind of felt like, wow, that's what's been wrong with me all along. I just wasn't playing on the right team, right? Mm. So yeah, yeah. It wasn't that smooth, I'll say. I tried to go back and straighten out in Albuquerque too, right? Because, you know, that was a thing to do. But yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I had to get through my first update first. So I had a clearance. So you have updates every five years. So my first clearance, I was just joining. So obviously I hadn't come out yet. Things were good. Mm -hmm. Second clearance, I had had a girlfriend. So when they asked me the questions, are you a lesbian or are you gay? I could honestly answer no, because in my mind, no. Mm -hmm. That just happened. I know it opened my eyes to the world. And I know that's where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not. Yeah. So I'm just going to go back. I'm going to date this guy in Albuquerque. I'm going to be straight the way I'm supposed to be and everything mm -hmm. will be good. So when I went through my first update and they asked me those questions, cause they can still ask you, I could say no, like honestly. Right. Um, in my mind anyway. And then, um, so by the time my second update started to come into play, there were so many factors that were involved. That's, you know, that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't lie my way through that. So mm -hmm. I did, I just decided I wouldn't, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. Funny stuff. It's mad that, that they do. would even ask that. Oh, they do. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that's illegal not these days to ask if some, you know... Well, illegal or not, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, I know, but I mean... Right. What's the relevancy in the question? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, it, it's just... Isn't yeah. that bizarre? Like, in your lifetime, you're, you're like, coming to this realization, like, you've got to be kidding me. No, they ask you that question. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever acted on it? Um, they, didn't act, they didn't ask me if I acted on it, and they should have. Because if they had, I would have had to say yes, because I'd have never lied. They never asked me. Yeah. But they said, they asked me questions, and I felt like the answers to those questions were no. I had mm. an experience, but no, I'm mm. good. But they could ask you, did you act on it? You know, have you had experiences? Are you? Um, yeah. They don't like, ask that now, do they? They don't now. So in the 90s, right before I got out, um, the whole Clinton don't ask, don't tell came into play, mm. which made it better for you in that they didn't throw you in prison or jail but um but that didn't help because it just it made the witch hunts worse i think 
-hmm. it made it easier for them to throw you out and it made it easier for people to just say, whatever, I quit, I'm getting out. But you didn't have to worry about being prosecuted, court-martialed and having a dishonorable discharge or going to prison. That was mm -hmm. the benefit of that. Um, and it shifted, um, you know, to where, you know, during Obama, you, you know, it was much more open and, you know, if you were trans, LGBTQ, whatever was acceptable. Um, you know, Trump raised some hell about transgendered folks, yeah. um, being in the military. Um, mm. but, um, it's, yeah, it's better today in that, um, you know, they don't ask, but you know, society, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do we have racism? Everybody wants to say, no, no, but the truth is, hell yes, it's everywhere, mm. right? Yeah. Um, it's no different. And if I was a gay man, I'm not sure the military would be my thing because mm. it's dangerous for a guy. You know, men mm. love the idea of girls. Let's be honest. They're all, I can't tell you how many men have said, well, can I come with you and your girlfriend, right? Like, yeah. you know, that sounds lovely to me. I don't have a problem with that. And I'm like, right, perv. Okay, back off. Yeah. Every, every guy that, every weird guy wants to seek out women, right? Like they don't have a problem with that. But mm. men, I, I can't imagine mm. being a guy in a line unit downrange with those 375 guys mm. knowing that you're gay oh my mm. gosh mm. i don't know that there would be anything more scary in the world to me than that mm. right mm. that's uh i mean there are guys who definitely wanted to straighten me out can't tell you how many times i heard that you just hadn't met the right one yet oh yeah you're gonna tell me you're him Whew! right <laughs> right um yeah it's I, it would be super scary i would think to be yeah. a guy yeah i don't know that i would pick that I'm not sure that's what i would do hmm. yeah so why did you decide to get out of the military you know i was stationed in colorado um close to where i currently live so i was stationed here and um and so by that time, I had made a lot of changes in my life. I'd done a lot of therapy. I was, you know, working in, in recovery on the eating disorder. And, um, and I, um, I was kind of, I was kind of getting to the end of my rope with the stupidity that I was surrounded with in the military, like mm -hmm. the, the double standards for men and, and all those things. Um, and so I, um, I was kind of getting vocal, um, and you know, there are rules like you, like in the military, there's a chain of command. You can't have a sexual relationship, for example, with someone who's in your chain of command. In other words, if you're their leader, it's not legal, yeah. common sense. Um, but in the military, you know, men get to do whatever they want, right? They, they can break the rules, especially when they had friends up the chain of command, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I started to see that the rules were inadequate and unfair. And I started to voice my opinion quite a bit. Um, so in the middle of all of that, they did a sting operation in Colorado Springs and they busted an E4 who worked for me, um, a captain and a major, I think in the air force and a, another guy who was a captain, I think in the army, they busted these guys in a sting operation at a gay bar here in town called the underground. And, <clears throat> um, one of the guys committed suicide um, they prosecuted the highest ranking and they prosecuted the lowest ranking, which worked for me. So here I am 
this leader, right? This guy is working for me. He's an E4, uh, like, neuroscientist, like, brilliant dude, right? Working in the military. Um, and he, um, so he's getting court-martialed. So here I am. I'm a lesbian. This guy works for me. You're court-martialing him because he's gay. I have to testify at his court-martial so that they can ask me all the questions and insinuate that he's a security risk, that he's going to sell his country out because he's gay and he doesn't want anyone to know, right? So in my little mind, I'm like, okay, let's think through this for a second. Because yeah. if you're a smart prosecutor, you're going to do some investigation on me too. Yeah. And if you're investigating me, we got a problem. Now I'm going to prison because mm. I have a top secret plus, 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 plus clearance, right? He has a top secret plus, plus, plus clearance. So it was super, super unnerving to me to have to testify at this guy's court martial. Like I didn't sleep. I lost 15, 20 pounds. I was like a rail. I was like a nervous wreck. I thought for sure, like, you know, my eating disorder went back into full, you know, mm. raging force. Um, so it was crazy. So um, he ended up getting court-martialed and charged, and I believe he got six months at Leavenworth um, because he was prosecuted and found guilty for sodomy, right, which is what they call men having sex with each other or, I guess, yeah. anal sex, whatever it is. But um, anyway, so he was prosecuted and um, was thrown out with a dishonorable discharge. His life ruined. It's a felony offense for the rest of your life, by the way. Like, that's not a misdemeanor. That's a felony. Like, you're a charged felon sex offender, now got a register kind of offense, right? Like, that's Can't not... Can they go back and... Like, nuts. now, obviously, <laughs> things have hopefully changed. Can they not yes. go back and take the felonies off his... Um... You could. You could. 25 years later, he's, his life yeah. is ruined. I mean, yeah. think of it, right? Yeah. At that time, he was 20. You know, now he would be in his mid-40s before you could change something. He missed his entire life and his entire earning and his entire yeah. everything simply because you know um it's, it's just it's just a bizarre thing to look at today and think that so when that court martial was over and i had to testify and they i mean they beat me on it right like you know don't you think he's security risk he's lying about his sexuality couldn't he lie about this couldn't he lie about that and i'm like listen i know what you're shooting for but no and then they would ask how, and I'm like, okay, so if I say his whole family knows, then they're going to know I know, which means I go to prison because I let it happen, right? Like there was no winning situation there. If I, if I testify against him, that's bad for him. If I testify and say, no, I know he's not a threat, right, then I'm saying I acknowledge it. And then it becomes that question that you asked earlier, would a woman stand up for you? Mm. Would I stand up for him, right? Mm. I mean, yeah, it was, I didn't, I didn't know what to say, how much to say. Do I sell myself out? Do I sell him out? So You're I tried my best. Yeah. Aren't you? yeah. I tried my best to just answer questions without incriminating myself in any way, shape or form. So mm -hmm. I gave yes or no answers when possible. I gave, and I felt horrible because I felt like I should have stood up for him. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. But at the time, the fear of choice. standing up, yeah. I had a choice. I should have, you know, I could have probably taken the different path, but I was so scared of the outcome yeah. of standing up for him. Um, and we had talked about it. I mean, you know, he knew, he knew he was probably going down, 
and as long as I didn't say anything to make that worse, um, mm-hmm. I just said like everything you're thinking about him is not correct. Mm-hmm. I know you want him to be a monster. I know you want him to be bad, and I'm telling you that is not the guy I know. Period. Mm-hmm. In the conversation, yeah. but yeah, that was really hard. So that happens, and it goes. It's done, right? So now I'm really thinking like you're gonna have an update coming up. First of all, you're a horrible liar, so don't even go there. Secondly, like, (laughs) horrible liar. Anybody will tell you I'm terrible. So I'm like, okay, so when that comes up, right, let's say they ask you the questions because they still could, right? Like, do you, what do you say? Mm. I can't, I can't lie to you and say, no, I'm not a lesbian. No, I'm not gay. I never thought I'm not, they, they didn't say lesbian or gay. They said homosexual. No, I'm not a homosexual. No, like, I've never acted on it. Like, that's a lie. And if mm-hmm. I get caught, how am I going to justify and say I was only lying because you don't allow me to serve my country if I'm telling you the truth? Yeah. Mm. That thought in itself is a little bizarre. Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Just, Let me get this straight. Yes, I want to serve my country for some crap-ass wages, right, mm. and funky living conditions, and you won't let me because what? So I kind of made a decision that it probably wasn't in my best interest to continue, and I was very resentful about it um, at the time. And so you asked me how I got out. I'll try to make this faster. So so this all goes down. I'm having second thoughts, and there, um, I was an E6 by now, and I was the top-ranking E6 in my platoon. But they put a guy in charge instead of me. And they told me they did that because I was traveling too much and I wasn't around. And I was like, that's BS. You know it's not true. You're doing it because he's your boy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was the favorite of the guy that was a char- that was above us. And he was also sleeping with one of the privates in my platoon. So that in itself was a bad thing. She popped up pregnant for him. Now, he's got a wife and two kids, right? Our boss is excusing this behavior, and he's like, he's like empowered with power. He thinks he's G.O.D. running around, you know, oh, yeah. the streets, he's right? Invincible. <laughs> right. So we're, um, so I was the top-ranking female. So every day when we ran PT, it, you know, men love to harass women for not keeping up with them, right? Mm-hmm. Some six-two guy likes to stand next to me and wants to run all out, and he likes to laugh and harass me about the fact that I can't keep up with him, and it was acceptable. They could treat us mm-hmm. any way they wanted, and it was acceptable. So. I would, instead of doing that, I would take the females and just let them run with me, right? So Mm -hmm. the big platoon would be up in the front with probably the younger females. And when I was younger, I could kind of keep up if they went at my pace, right? And a lot of times the good guys put someone my size as the pacemaker so that everyone could keep up, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have little men with little egos, Right. They want a champion. Right. So I would always take the female. So we were doing this one day and I was running in the, in the behind the main formation with the females and I was making sure that everybody was motivated and we were going our two miles. Right. Four miles, whatever it was. And we were keeping up. And this guy came back and started harassing us. So I said to him, like, dude, get your ass up in the front and shut up. Nobody asked mm-hmm. you to be back here. Like, we don't need you. Right. Mm-hmm. So he got a little upset with me. And went face to face with me in the middle of the street. So he and I had an altercation in the street. And uh, I have to say I was a little nervous for a minute there because he could have pounded me. Um, so we are having an altercation. The platoon comes around. The sergeant major comes down. And he calls us both back in. And he's like, Sharon, get your ass in formation, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, we get into the office that day. He calls me in to reprimand me. Right? So he calls me in. He's reprimanding me. And I'm like, 
I'm finding this hard to believe that you're going to reprimand me. First of all, I outrank him. So the insubordination isn't for me. It's from him. Mm. I'm the ranking person here. Okay. Secondly, like you're overlooking the fact that he's sleeping with my private and she's pregnant and he's got a wife and two children and you're overlooking that. And you guys mm. are acting like the rules don't exist. Like yeah. I want the rules to be accounted for here. I want you to be accountable. And if you don't do something, I'm going to the Colonel, which is above him, which is a bad thing. So mm -hmm. when you say speak out, so I was at a place where I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with all you idiots. Your people are ignorant. Like you're breaking the rules. I'm not doing it anymore. Right. If you want to break the rules, let's go break the rules. Let's go tell the Colonel. So I did. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there are consequences to be paid for telling the Colonel. So I did, I told the Colonel. And um, so everybody was upset with me. Of course, of course, a woman gets raped. She shouldn't have worn those clothes, right? Mm. She shouldn't have put herself out there. She shouldn't have had too much to drink. Forget the fact that he raped her, right? Like it's the same. Yeah. It's the same story always for women, right? So I blow the whistle because now I'm ticked off, right? So mm -hmm. I blow the whistle. I make that call, right? And um, two days later, I'm out on the firing range as an NCO, a safety NCO, right? So you know, a couple of times a year, you have to go to the firing range, and there's NCOs that have to be qualified to be safety officers when you're shooting. So I'm a safety officer and um, a car drives up with a couple of MPs in it. And they're, they're like, you know, Staff Sergeant Sharon, can you get in the car? And I was like, uh, no, like negative, not going to happen. What's going on? And they're like, we have orders to come and get you. I'm like, like, I can't leave the firing range, first of all, because I'm the only safety NCO out here. Like, what do you mean I have to go somewhere? And they were like, listen, we're only going to ask you once. So I was like, oh, okay. So I jump in the back of the car and um, – confused because I don't know what's going on. So they deliver me to the army hospital psych ward. This is how payback comes. So I get thrown in the psych ward. So I, I'm like, what do you mean I'm in a psych? Like, have you ever been in a psych ward? It's a scary place. Because no, no. I might be, I might be crazy in some ways, but I'm pretty damn sane. So I mean, they're homicidal, suicidal. I, I didn't sleep for three days because I was like, I think I'm going to get my throat slit or somebody's going to bash my head in. Like there's some crazy people in here, right? So they throw me in a psych ward. Long story short, um, that was their way of shutting me up because they already knew that I had an eating disorder because I was doing therapy on my own outside. I had joined a program and I was paying for it out of my pocket because mm -hmm. I wasn't a military wife. If I was a military wife, they would have paid for it in full. But because I'm active duty, the military chose not to because they're like, it's not your decision how you take care of yourself. It's ours. And if it's our decision, we're going to send you off to a psycho hospital down in Alabama where they're going to drug you up and do whatever they want to you. And I was like, over my dead body, I'm going to do my own thing. So I went to a program here at a place called Cedar Springs. And so I was doing my own program to recover from that and paying for it out of pocket. So they knew that, right? So they threw me in there and, and made me go through this whole series of inkblot tests and all kind of craziness, right? I think at first probably to scare me, it worked. Um, so I made phone calls to my girlfriend and she made phone calls to my therapist who knew a colonel, thank God, at the hospital who was a psychologist. And she called him and that man put me on three day passes. So in the military, you know, you can't be off, right? Like you yeah. have to have, a, mm -hmm. you have to have permission to take the weekend off or to take a pass or whatever. So this man put me on three day passes and kept me out of the line of fire. 
um, once this colonel was out of the way. So the colonel went on vacation, and this man came down and said, I'm going to put you on three-day passes. Don't ask. Don't tell. Yeah. Shut up. Go home. Take your three-day pass. Come back and see me in three days, and I'm going to give you three-day passes till we can till we can put you out. And I was like, okay, first of all, I didn't say I wanted you to put me out. I don't think it's fair that you just get to put me out, right? Mm. So they were going to medically evaluate me to put me out. Um, and so I fought it for a little bit, and then I thought, okay, let's be real. Like, you have a clearance update coming up. You are past the point of keeping your mouth shut anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not who you are. Just give it up, right? Like, and just let it happen. So I ended up not being on Fort Carson from February till um, I ETS in September. That must have been tough for you because it wasn't yeah. your decision. It was just kind of made for you, and even though... I was angry. I was definitely, I was angry that I was angry with myself because I spoke up and I was angry because I spoke up and I didn't do it in a different way. Although I don't know what a different way would have been Mm. um, at the time. I mean, that was, that was 20 something, you know, I was still pretty, pretty young. Right. Mm. I mean, I was still pretty screwed up myself in some ways. Um, And I think I was, I was, I was angry with the service. I was angry with the military. I was angry with them for not helping to take care of me. Yeah, like I was trying to take care of myself. I was spending more than 50% of my entire income on getting myself healthy because I wasn't a wife and you wouldn't take care of it, right? Mm -hmm. I was angry because the rules were different Mm -hmm. and that the guys could do whatever they want and we still had to tow some different set of standards. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was angry that I spoke up and, and that that was a result of me speaking up, right? Nothing happened to that asshole, right? Mm. Nothing. And he was the one who was breaking all the rules, right? But yeah, so speaking up, not always a good thing, you know? Were you able to keep your pension despite going out this way? So, no. So like, I can't, you don't retire. I have a small, um, I have a disability check that I get every month for um, for a couple of my back and a couple of things. But um, but I don't, I, I had to, I had to get out and not take a pension. I could have probably tried to go back and stay um, in the reserves long enough to get a pension, but Mm. I was so bitter and angry about it. I don't think Mm -hmm. I even told people I was in the military for probably 15 years. There were people in my life that never knew because I was like, I don't want anybody to know I ever served this freaking country, right? Even mm. though I love my country, right? I like, remember doing the doing the training. You told us quite late. You didn't want yeah. to say it, say it at the it's beginning, yeah. And you told yeah. us because someone and someone else mentioned it or something. Yeah, it took yeah. me a long time to be proud of the fact that I served my country. You know, and, and I am today. I mean, I, I look on that differently, right? Times have changed. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely glad I had an opportunity to serve my country because the truth is there are more bad people in the world good people in the world than bad people there are more good people in the military than bad people um unfortunately you know you're gonna you're gonna run into people in circumstances and that's just the way it is you know yeah that's the same everywhere to be honest yeah absolutely it's It's no different anywhere yeah no yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah how was um adjusting to quote-unquote normal life uh, after (laughs) yeah after eight years in the military you know, it's funny you're, cause you're, you, you're being uh, told what to like. Your, your yeah. life is kind of decided for you, right? For Absolutely. a long time, especially yeah. at this age as well. Yeah. And it's usually when 
you figure life, oh, life out. Yeah, yeah. And and you know when you're you know when you're deployed in different circumstances, like um, you know like it's 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 like you're it's weird. Like you're in a you're in an alter world. Yeah, for whatever it's life. is, you, it's for life. three months, six months, whatever it is, like you're in another world. And if you're smart, you're in another world. Because really, you don't want to be in that world. You don't want to be in this. Like you don't want to be mm. always missing this world, right? So it's easier. It was always easier for me to transition my mind into that world, right? Um, but it was it was tough. It was funny and tough. Like I would wake up in the morning, hit the ground running, and like expect everyone else to be working at eight, and like my boss be like whoa time out this is not the military anymore like you need Let's to chill coffee. right have a coffee <laughs> go eat some breakfast come back at 10 right um so that part was hard and i would wake up in a panic a lot um mm. i woke up in panic um that i missed formation i was late for pt um mm. you know like because you're those things are ingrained mm. right um mm. so I, I woke up in a panic it probably took me a couple of probably took me a couple of years to not ever feel that right like to not oh, interesting it wasn't every day but definitely in the beginning it was every day and then it waned off after a while um to where i didn't feel it as much and then it was you know it was okay but yeah it took a few years to kind of get myself you know unindoctrinated into all those things mm. that you adjust mm. to um mm. in that world you know um but yeah definitely yeah some things never leave you most things yeah. did <laughs> I guess for you, because you were not a great student and you didn't enjoy school that much and everything, that was an amazing opportunity for you to learn skills to eventually get a great career afterwards, right? And it prepared me. You know, I ended up going back and finishing my degree um, in technology and I've been in technology ever since. And it prepared me. I mean, let's face it. Technology is a man's world. I mean, every class I'm in, if I'm lucky, there's another woman. Most of the time, it's me. Um, and I gotta be honest, <laughs> I still love it. Like I would rather work with a ton of guys than women because <laughs> it's guys are, you know, they're just pretty simple, right? It's like, here's where it's at. I didn't like that. Let's scream at each other for five minutes. And then as soon as we're done today at four, we're going to go grab a beer and this whole thing's going to go away. <laughs> so love, love it. Right. <laughs> And for women, it's hard because we're constantly fighting. We're Mm. fighting for everything, right? Like, you know, and it's harder because this younger generation doesn't see that fight yet, right? Like they look at it and think we're just making this stuff up in our head. But, you know, when you're a fighter, and I feel like I've been a fighter all my life, like every day I had to fight to get somewhere different and to break somebody's ideas of what they were going to, what box they were going to put me in that day, right? So I think, um, you know, when you're, when you're fighting constantly for that, like it's hard to find your femininity and to be a strong um, female and and in the world with that feminine energy in a in a male centric world, right? And to take care of each other, like that's mm-hmm. a really hard thing. And so I don't find that women have been overly supportive in my career in my younger days. Now as I've gotten, um, if I've progressed in my career of late. I find that a little different. I found women that I've definitely um, been able to work for. I work for a woman now, um, and I'm um, and I found women that have been supportive. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. I think we were all so busy fighting the fight mm. that we forgot we didn't have to fight each other, mm. you know. And I think 
I think when you are in a place where you're fighting to get somewhere and to make a difference and to make a path and to break that mold, sometimes just by the fact that you're merely fighting to make things happen in the world, you don't, you know, you can either get jaded or um, I like to think I'm not jaded. I'm sure I'm not perfect and I probably am in some ways, but like, I think it's hard to find balance sometimes, you know? Um, and so I think as women and as leaders and as leaders in leadership positions, like that's a struggle that I think we need to come back to is to find our own femininity and our ability to be assertive yet not aggressive mm. um, and how we approach things and how we approach mentoring. Um, and I do a ton of work around trying to mentor younger women um, in the workforce to help them, um, not based on my experience. It's kind of like parenting, like you don't want your kids to learn their experiences in life on yours, right? Mm. But to mentor them in a way to help them grow skills and to help them maybe figure out ways to navigate and maintain and um, and make a path for themselves and progress and compete and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, it's hard. And how did you adjust to your, well, more, you know, personal intimate life? Because for eight years... You were this kind of first denial stage and then not denial, but <laughs> yep. I can't say anyone, otherwise I'm going to end up in jail and suddenly, yeah. fuck, I'm free. Yeah, it was confusing. It no, was I guess. scary. Yeah, it was real scary, especially it was really scary when I came back to Colorado because now I'm like out, right? I'm like, okay, it's full blown. It's new slash boob. You're not going back into the closet. It's not happening, okay? That closet door has been blown off and you are out there. But I still wasn't out, right? Because I was so scared. Um, mm. So when I got out, um, it was a lot easier, but I was still uncomfortable with it, right? Um, like I wasn't, um, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to public displays of affection. Like even today, if I'm out in the world walking around, chances of me holding my girlfriend's hand. Mm. I'm not sure. Like, that's a hard one because it's the world still doesn't feel safe in some ways, right? Like, we like to think the world has shifted and changed, but I come from a place where it it was still hard. And so I think mm -hmm. sometimes I'm still scarred a little bit by that. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty private. You know me. I'm pretty private anyway about that stuff. Like, this is a stretch for me to tell all of this, you know, stuff, right? I'm sure I'm going to go to bed tonight and, and be thinking about it for three days. But yeah like it's it was hard to adjust to that freedom and um and to be okay with it and to go huh, I yeah can do i can do what the hell i want what the fuck i, I want kiss somebody <laughs> in the streets and you can't put me in jail now oh <laughs> that's good and then i actually got into a longer term relationship with someone and worked for a company who had a ceo from boston and the company was super open and mm -hmm. everyone in the company knew me and her and wow. so all of a sudden that was probably the first time I felt like I was normal, like mm -hmm. 1996. It's like the first time I felt like, all right, like I'm one of you guys, right? Like this mm -hmm. is just normal. It, like we live in a, a house, you know, we're trying to get pregnant. We are living in this house. It's, you know, we both have jobs. Um, you know, um, somebody in my family came out to visit and actually met her. Um, which was the first time that that had happened. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so you know dealing with that was a little strange although i never really cared what they thought like if you didn't talk to me for the rest of your life yay um but you know still it's a little stressful um yeah you know when when yeah when people who've known you all your life and then you know like how do you deal with high school like i left home all of my friends from high school all of my brother's friends like all of the people who knew us are still there Mm. i don't know who knows or who doesn't know Mm. um and so sometimes when there's a lot of alcohol involved in living in louisiana and so sometimes when they start making like gay jokes i'm like okay so who knows even till now like three Mm. months ago when i was home like who knows who doesn't know so for me that adjustment you know it it, i think it's 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 still happening yeah 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 um it's bizarre but it's still happening yeah it's even if things are obviously getting better every year and everything is Mm -hmm. still hard to believe that shit like that is still happening and yeah it would be naive to think it's no obviously i mean just like racism before you you mentioned um but it's still pretty fucked up (laughs) to be honest Mm. Um, it's even bizarre for me to remember and think about sometimes like when i say this out loud i'm like holy cow like in our lifetime Mm. there was a time where people got thrown in jail yeah, well, court-martialed nice. and their lives ruined simply because they were serving their country and they happened to be gay. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how can you not? Like, that's just bizarre. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because like, not dumb people. There's always be dumb people. The point I don't yeah. think is not to convince everyone. Like that. Right. That's that's just never gonna happen anyway. No. Um, no. But not it's just like, what does it matter? <laughs> like, what's the relevancy? You know, in right. in there. I'm not like, sleeping with your wife. We're yeah, good, like, you know, right? I, like, even if I don't understand, even if I don't get it, and even if you know I don't want to talk to you because of your sexual, you know, why not? Yeah. Like, but you know, it's no point fear. put you in jail because of that. Like, yeah, I think, and I think it's fear, right? I think, um, yeah, I think it's the same with racism. I think it's fear. I think it's fear mm. of difference, right? Yeah. Um, You're scared because, of what we don't understand, right? And I think we, I say this about about uh race i say it about you know gender and 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 about the lgbtq you know ti community like when we when the media insists right on putting the minority groups of those particular groups on tv and ostracizing those groups so you know we post a lot of black crime on tv right but when we're Mm -hmm. looking for a lost girl she's always white um when we show the gay parades, we don't show the people who have kids and families and just normal, right? Mm. We show the extremes, the right? Eccentrics. The yeah. women from Act Out who are topless over here and the guys who are in chaps with their butts hanging out over <laughs> here, right? Like, yeah. honestly, even I struggle with those images for myself. I don't want my kid to be around that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but i think it's easy for like people grasp onto those negative images or less desirable images right mm-hmm. than on the mainstream and the truth which is we're just all really pretty normal boring people yeah. 
<laughs> my my oldest brother and his wife came to visit when I was with uh with my my I call my marriage my partner and um and so my nephew was eight and my niece was 13 and at that time the word for everything was gay so everywhere we went she would be oh that's okay oh that's okay oh that's okay so I stopped her once and I said you know honey here's the deal if you ever have anything to ask I am an open book and everything is acceptable everything you have a question ask the question right like there's never a time in my life when I'm ever gonna not answer you or it's gonna be wrong I just need you mm -hmm. to know that and she was like okay she was a smart ass so my nephew was eight so he said he had a um, he's uh he's on the spectrum and he said hey Joni what what did lady sleep and I said well honey she sleeps with me and he's like like in the same bed and I said yeah like like your mom and dad and he's like oh okay you want to sleep with me tonight down in the basement in my tent I'm like yep buddy I'm in right like <laughs> <laughs> he was like okay makes sense to me but yeah. tonight can we sleep in the tent downstairs because I got him a tent for Christmas yeah. and so you know just like his mentality and he was like perfect he's never had an issue with it right like because mm. it was never an issue for him and I remember my sister-in-law saying to me she's like man I mean you guys are like just normal <laughs> what were you what thinking you yeah. right you and she's like i mean like you're like borderline boring normal i'm like well thanks i mean i guess, I guess. I'm like, <laughs> right so i'm like you know what is it that you had in your head that was gonna happen right like mm. yeah. i was gonna have like you know sex swings hanging from yeah. the ceiling <laughs> or something like that stuff's in porn man like that's not life okay mm. but like i think it was it was an eye opener for them, right? Yeah. And and I and I was thankful that she never said anything to her kids. She never said anything to my niece and nephew mm -hmm. before they came out to warn them or prepare them. She just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I I had a ton of respect for her for doing that, for just yeah. letting it happen, right? Now my brother, mm -hmm. well, you get what you get there. But like you know, she just let it happen and the kids have never ever I've, I've had relationships with all my nieces and nephews even though i don't have relationships with my brothers so to speak at, at times I've, I will, I've always had relationships with the kids um and so that was a nice thing but it was a bizarre thing too i'm like what were you expecting dude yeah. like <laughs> have you met me like <laughs> i'm as straight laced as they come right but yeah it was pretty funny yeah. mm. interesting To finish on on one thing before sure. we actually pressed recorded we, we were chatting and uh you mentioned a few things about your career and you mentioned that throughout your career your career you took a few breaks here and there mm -hmm. uh, yes. sometimes up to like 12 months and stuff like that this is very unusual uh, a lot of people would say yeah. why this is stupid you're gonna fuck your entire career you've been working hard and blah 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 yes. i've heard it all so exactly um, yes and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and i mean yep. the, the the truth is um even if i totally disagree with this <laughs> stupid speech most of the time the people that mm -hmm. take those kind of breaks is early in a career between the mm -hmm. 20 during the 20s maybe early 30s it's it's not often i don't think i know anyone actually like oh, past really? 40s but my circle is not the most representative or not mm -hmm. that took breaks in the career oh, and wow. stuff like that yeah. so what was your i don't know like yeah how did you navigate <laughs> that or is it just i need a break that's it. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's it's funny. Like, 
I've always had um, really good self-confidence and I've always been really strong, like mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, a whirlwind tornado, the world falling around around me. Um, I don't. I'm pretty steadfast in that way. Um, and I think, you know, it came down to uh, there were times where I felt like I wasn't being valued and I wasn't taking care of myself. And I had put myself in positions where others didn't value me um, or others didn't acknowledge or see my value. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I allowed myself to burn out, right? And I say this to people that I mentor today and I say it to people that work for me and the people that I work for. Like burnout is my responsibility. If you get burned out, you can thank yourself, right? Um, and I think I love, I love this generation of, you know, everybody complains about the millennials and Gen Xers. And here's something I love, 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 love about working with them. They demand quality of life. Mm. Demand it. Like they saw their parents, like, you know, my age or older, working for the man, slaving for the man and getting laid off. Right. And, and, and so I think they look at that differently and they're like, whoa, 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 time out. Right. Like this is my life. Right. I'm going to get mine. If I want to work remotely, I'm going to work remotely. If I want quality of life, I want quality of life. If I want to go to my kid's game, I want to go to my kid's game. Right. And, it, and, and I think they gave us permission to behave that way. So I think part of it is that mentality of, you know, like I have to take care of myself. And um, and there's definitely been times where I felt burned out, um, undervalued and um, frankly, probably a little bit lost. Mm. Like, is this really what I want to do in my career? Why did I take that step? Maybe I need to, like, really think through this and shift. And each time I've done that, I've come back stronger, right? It was a, you know, it was a, it was a financial increase. It was a job increase. Um, and it was something different than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it was the only way to find um, quiet, right? We live in a noisy world with noisy people. Um, and for me, um, it was around allowing things to quiet down around me so that I could really figure out what my purpose was. Was I serving my purpose? Was I being good to myself? Was I being fair to myself? Was I valuing myself? Um, And then how could I be better for the next time? Hmm. Um, So it was always about that for me and taking that time to to do self-care, which is something we don't do a lot of, right? Um, And you're right, I heard the messages. I, I have a really, really good friend whom I play golf with. And, uh, and she would say to me, like, just take a job, Jay. Just, I mean, just get a job. And I'm like, you know, first of all, it would be easy to say to someone, hey, go find a job working 40 hours a week, making 20% of what you were making last month, right? And just do that for a while until you find another job. But let's evaluate that for a second. How does that look for you? It's not worth it, right? And so she would always say that to me. And finally, one day I said to her, I said, you know, it occurs to me, I've never asked you for money. I never asked you for anything. Like, none of this is about you. But, like, do you get how you behave with me? Like, you're a spaz. You're, like, freaked out over there. And I'm just trying to play some golf, right? Like, like you're freaking out about me not having a job. But what is it? Like, I, I don't get that mentality. Like, you feel like it has, like, you should evaluate yourself in that situation. And from now on, you can't talk to me about it. So 
when we're hanging out, this conversation never happens. Sue and Jay don't talk about Jay's job. So if I ever get laid off or I'm ever out of work or something, I don't talk to her about it. And it's off limits for us because she was so stressed out about it mm. that that she was stressing me out about it. Right. Mm. And there was no reason. And I finally said to her one day, like, Sue, maybe you just lack confidence in me. My value is so much more than what you're telling me. And it's sad mm. to me that as my friend of 20 years, like you don't look at me and say, girl, go get what you want. Right. Do you know mm. how many people don't say that to you? Think about the people in your life. Right. Yeah. And there were, there were two people during that time that were like, girl, do you don't settle, go get what you want and hold out. Right. And the rest of them were of that mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. Get a job, just get a job, just get a job. It's like a job was the end all be all to everything in life. Like without a job, you had no value either. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I never saw it that way. I didn't. I mean, I still think everybody should do it. I think every once in a while you should do it because it scares the hell out of you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you should, you should do it because it scares you and it really makes you sit back and think about your own level of self-confidence, your value for yourself. What do you think you're worth? Right. What do you really want to do? How much can the world push you around before you break? Right. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a different, and you guys are experiencing that probably a yeah. little bit. <laughs> and we've yeah. been pushed around. <laughs> right? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you know, you, yeah. you've made it, right? Like, you're where you're at. I, this isn't the first rodeo for you guys. Like, mm. you're going to be just fine, just like you were last time it happened or whenever. Like, it's going to be fine. Right? That was, that, that was um, the, the day I actually decided, like, in my head that I was maybe ready for it it was i was reading the four hours work week by tim ferris oh yeah and, and and one of the exercise was write down what is the worst thing that could happen if everything you plan fail everything goes wrong everything everything what's the worst that can happen and i've realized it wasn't going to be that bad right. like the, the risks were not that risky yeah, uh, I will be able when you to think about you guys, easily, so. yeah. the things you've experienced together, right? Like you've had loss in your life that mattered. Like not having a job, right? Yeah. You can get there. <laughs> That's a piece of cake. Yeah. Look, if I need to tomorrow, I'm going back to McDonald's. Yeah, I'm going to make exactly, enough to yeah. eat. <laughs> I'm good. There's a soup kitchen down the street. Like worst case scenario. And I love that mentality, right? Like what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, mm. I have lots of lots of things have happened in my life, but at some point in my life, I thought I was really smart and I started my own business and I made a really bad choice about the business partner that I chose. Really bad choice. Lost everything I own, right? Mm. Filed bankruptcy, lost everything I own, went down to my like warm-ups and tennis shoes and I was like selling it off, right? And I remember she was not a healthy person and she came to my house one day and said, you know what? I'm not right. I'm never really going to win any court cases, but I'm going to drain you before that happens. And I'm like, well, girl, you're pretty darn close. I tell you what, go get yourself a U-Haul, back it up to the front door, just leave me my underwear and my clothes, and you can have the rest. Because this is stuff. And when you clean me out and you have all my stuff, I still have everything I need. It's right here, right? The truth is, this is stuff. Everything I need is here. I built it once, I'm gonna build it, I'm gonna build it again, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I had a really good friend who said to me, you'll be okay. You did it once, you just do it again. 
And at the time, I was feeling pretty low. I was doubting myself. But she was right. I started from nothing. Nothing in Louisiana, right? No skills, no intelligence, nothing. No worldliness at all. And built it. And then I lost it all. And I just rebuilt it again. So if I lose it again, it's uncomfortable. But you know what? You get there. And I think I think that's a really good lesson to learn is that, you know, like, you guys have had real trauma in your lives. This isn't trauma. This is choice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is all up, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there are things in your life that are matter and that are important. This is not one of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's all perspective. Yes, very much <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah. And think about the life you're having right now. Oh, my gosh. I'm envious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So before we close, one of the last questions that we ask everybody when we remember <laughs> is if you could have a conversation with anybody who's dead or alive, famous or not famous, it could literally be anybody who you think would be the most interesting person, um, who would you talk to and why? I think I would want to talk to... Hmm, man. That's a hard one. It would have to be like, you know, I would love to talk to my grandmother again, right? Just because I loved her and, and I miss her. Um, but I think I would want to talk to someone like, uh, like an Emily Dickinson or someone like that who lived in a time where, you know, simply publishing a poem was like a no-no right mm -hmm. um and and how she survived and why she didn't get published earlier and you know I, I think just to understand the times and how that felt mm -hmm. and and to be able to understand that even in my lifetime you know this whole issue of of women and the, the lgbtq you know community is is an issue but you know her issues were even bigger back then mm -hmm. to now right um and I and I think I would like the perspective of that, right? Um, yeah, I think I would like the perspective of that. Like, you know, integration into the schools in Louisiana in, you know, blacks and whites in school together happened in my lifetime. That happened when I was in second grade, right? Um, mm. You think about, like, the time frame between the 1800s to then in the, in the 70s, 60s would have been the end of the 60s, 70s. So like you think about like the things that have changed in the world and how, like it would have been interesting to have her perspective, mm. you know? Mm. We've not had that answer before. No. That was a good one. <laughs> it's funny how, I'm like, I don't think we've ever had two the same. No, oh, really? Yeah, I think, I think yeah. two people said like Jesus Christ. That's the oh, only really? one that came Maybe. back. Yeah, I think that's the only one that came back. Um, otherwise everyone else is, mm. when he's real people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm not yeah. going into the religion stuff. But yeah, when it's with people, like everyone picked a different one. So, <laughs> have you guys thought about it? Would you? Who would you talk to? Who would you go back? Oh, so I always say my grandfather, who um, yeah, he died when my mum was 24, I believe. She was engaged, oh, wow. so she never met me and my brothers. Uh, he never met me oh. and my brother. Sorry. Um, oh. And my grandma still talks about him to this day. You know, 40 years later, she's still. <sighs> like tell stories and giggles That's and awesome. her eyes light up and it's gonna be emotional it. but i would, I would <laughs> talk to him gosh. 
I love and it. Jeremy's oh. changes all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my, my first peak is uh, Elon Musk. Oh, okay. Pick his weird brain. Yeah, <laughs> and dive into his head. Yes, yes, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, being the history buff, it makes sense that I want to go back. You know, I, I kind of yeah. like history, so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Tony, thank you so much for sure. this awesome conversation. Um, thank you for your openness about everything as well. Sure. I've learned a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of things that I didn't expect. Yeah, um, super interesting yeah. and thank you. shocking, honestly, some of it as well. Yeah. And like, I've said that in the nicest possible way, obviously, but I mean, you know, hearing these stories now yeah. about what happened, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's kind of crazy that, I don't know, it's, it's hard to wrap your head yeah. around and no, yeah. thank you for sharing. And I know some of that was tough for you to talk bet. about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time as well. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Very if much people so. would like to reach out to you because they have a, a question or just want to say thanks for sharing, what is the best way to get in touch, to contact you online? Emails, fine. Um, yeah, or WhatsApp. Everybody kind of has me. Any on social WhatsApp media? Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's fine. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't care. Either way, email, WhatsApp. Okay. Text we'll put any information in the show notes yeah. so people can okay. find you. All right. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. So nice to meet you, Rosie, and spend time with you. You too. Um, everybody listening, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.